0: Well, I really am grateful to be able to share God's word with you today. I'm so uh, glad to be at Compass. Thank you for your support for uh, the ministry, uh, which I uh, run of raising up Bible teachers for the World Church. I'm here in Tyndall House in Cambridge, England, where we have one of the best libraries of the Bible in the world. And our aim is in fact to have every book of historical information about the Bible. And people come from all sorts of different countries in the world to study the Bible at a very high uh, level. We normally have about 60 scholars here at 60 different desks. And though we've begun to reopen for months, our desks have been empty uh, and we've been frustrated because we've had this great library and no one coming in to use the books. But I imagine that a lot of you have been experiencing uh, frustrations. And why are we frustrated? Well, it's all because of this horrible, horrible, Little virus, the invisible enemy. And we've all been having to deal with disruption to our lives. A lot of us have been stuck indoors, not able to get out where we want to, especially uh, older people or people with worse health have had to shield themselves. There are a lot of different opinions about the virus. Some think we should be doing more uh, against the virus. uh, And uh, some people think actually there's been an overreaction in terms of how people have been responding. But one thing's really clear. Countries around the world have taken extraordinary steps in fighting an invisible enemy. If someone had predicted in January that flights would be grounded, that borders would be closed, it would have been hard to believe them. Well, humans aren't very good at predicting the future, are they? And what we've seen is that people have made really big steps in fighting this. And it reminds me how in Scripture we as Christians have an invisible enemy. If we're prepared to take really big steps to fight this invisible virus, shouldn't we be prepared to take even bigger steps in our fight against our invisible enemy, Satan? Satan is more deadly as a killer. And how much effort are we prepared to put in? How much effort would we be prepared to put in to, in order not to let Satan in? Would you shut down parts of your economy in order to stop Satan? But Jesus tells us also that there's this enemy, sin. And unlike Satan who's outside, sin is within. So you can't just retreat and lock down and shut the doors of your house and not have sin inside. So with with COVID-19, the idea is that you somehow shut it out. There's no known cure, but you might... If, if you get it, your body might create antibodies to fight it off somehow. But with sin, there is no antibody. There's no internal cure. And that's why we need Christ to come outside. We need his work so that we can be cleansed and changed. We're in a far worse situation with sin than we are with a virus. But that's why I want to tell you about something more powerful than sin. It is the word of God. Let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Think of the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. When God makes things, he makes them good, but he also makes them a particular way. He makes them with seed. It says, you know, about the plants and the trees, bearing seed. Why did he choose to do that? Well, he built into the very structure of things, seeds, which mean uncertainty and also something that spreads but you can't predict with a seed what's going to germinate what's not so that whole idea that we as humans can control our environment is blown up there in that first chapter of the bible one of the things we've seen is countries struggling to contain a situation this myth that we somehow control the world is blown up because God creates the world with seed in So things can't be predicted, but also seed spreads and he uses that as an image for his word. So just a seed can fill the whole earth. His word can fill the whole earth. Now, let's go to Mark and that parable, Mark chapter four of the sower. I might cheekily call him the unstrategic sower, you know, because he wasted three quarters of his seed on ground that was no good. I mean, couldn't you or I have done a better, better job than that? Wasn't it crazy? Why on earth did he do that? Why, why put seed into stony ground? Why put it among thorns? It doesn't make any sense. But then we get to the end of the parable and we see that the seed in the good soil multiplied 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Divide any of those numbers by 4, 7.5, 15, 25, you get big increase. And that's what God's word is doing. Even though there's ground where it's not fertile, it the rest spreads far more. There's an increase. That's what God's word does. I love the verse in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, where it says, and the word of God continued to increase. Now think about it. <clears throat> we might think that There's a certain number of words that God's spoken. And we look at how many words there are in the Bible. That's the number of words God's spoken. But actually, God says that his word is something that increases. Uh, Each time we translate the word of God, each time we say it to someone else, uh, whether it's in neurons, sound waves, whether it's written on stone, but most of all written in our hearts, it spreads. It's spreading more and more. So we've been experiencing lockdown for a while. A lot of us shut inside our houses. That's not strange in the Bible, but the word of God spreads. And that's why I want us to think of a focused verse. Second Timothy, chapter two, verses eight through to nine. It's what it says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So there we have Paul in prison, bound in chains, unable to move. And yet the word of God is not bound. He knows it's going out and nothing can stop the word of God. So people can stop this virus, you know, that use alcohol gel or you can use um, bleach and that, that, that will stop things spreading and, and so on. There's nothing like that that can resist the word of God. The word of God just spreads And so as we think in the Bible, we realise that a lot of people have been stuck in the past. Think back to Genesis again. Joseph was stuck in prison. And yet it was while he was in prison that God was with him and he was able to witness to that butler. The butler then told Pharaoh about him. He gets to talk to Pharaoh. He gets to rescue his family. In fact, rescuing his family means saving the whole people of Israel, the people from whom the Messiah comes who saves us. In other words, it was because he was stuck in the prison at that time that we're able to be saved. What an amazing thing that God has someone stuck in a small place, frustrated because he couldn't use all of his great administrative skills at that stage. uh, And he was stuck there but it was all in God's purpose, God had a plan. And sometimes God's plan is for us to be stuck somewhere and that's okay, it doesn't mean his word isn't gonna go out. Or look later on in the Old Testament, at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah spent time in prison, chapter 37, read about it. And yet through that time, he was able to prophesy the word got out. The next book, Ezekiel, you look at the next prophet and Ezekiel is uh, told that he has to be on his side For over a year, 390 days on one side, and yet the word of God gets out. You get through to the New Testament and you see, even our Lord Jesus Christ, as he traveled, didn't travel very widely. Yes, he went up to Tyre and Sidon, uh, but most of the time he was in that area of Galilee, yes, getting down to Jerusalem, preaching in that small area, and yet the word of God got out. And then people seem to travel more in the book of Acts, at least as it begins. But the last seven chapters, Paul is imprisoned. He's imprisoned in different places. He travels as a prisoner, but he's not able to choose where to go. Does that mean the word of God is not going out? No, look at how the book ends. The book ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome. And those last two verses, he's in house under house arrest. And this is what it says. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him he proclaimed the kingdom of god and taught about the lord jesus christ with all boldness and without hindrance nothing stopped it the word of god going out the fact that he was in this uh, house arrest did not mean the word of god couldn't go out what happens in the rest of the new testament well most of it is letters why have letters precisely because the apostles couldn't get to the people they were writing to. And it's a really good thing they couldn't because Paul couldn't get to Rome, he wrote Romans because he couldn't get to Corinth, he wrote the Corinthian letters. We wouldn't even have those letters if he'd been able to travel um, uh, every time where he wanted to. look at those beautiful letters at the end of the New Testament, 2nd and 3rd John. This is what it says, 2nd John uh, chapter 12. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face that our joy may be complete. So we've got those beautiful letters because he couldn't travel, but even though he wanted to. And then we have some letters in the New Testament which are actually written from prison. So 2 Timothy, we've already thought about, written from prison. But another one is Ephesians, almost certainly written from prison. And look at the beauties of that letter. Because this is what Ephesians about, is about. God has this amazing plan, this big plan. And its plan has been going on from eternity past. And that is to make publicly his son head of everything. And to bring every resource in the universe to that one end. This is the biggest logistical Um, exercise ever done for the sake of showing that his son is head of everything and guess what we are allowed to be involved in it because he's going to adopt us as his children um, adopted children alongside his son and how he saves us and even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins he's made us alive and that um, it says through grace you're saved through faith and that's an amazing it's not of works lest anyone should boast and you, you go on through Ephesians and you get these beautiful verses. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We have those verses because Paul was stuck in prison. If he hadn't been stuck in prison, we wouldn't have that beautiful book. And so in fact, God's word went out to far more people through Paul writing Ephesians than if he had just travelled round. So God knew what he was doing when Paul was stuck. Or look at Philippians, what an amazing letter again, where Paul says, yes, I'm, I'm stuck, but the whole Praetorian guard is hearing the message. Or he talks about how for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or he talks about how Christ came from the heights of glory and took on the form of a servant. And he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And that's why God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven on earth and under the earth. In other words, we have these verses because Paul was stuck. How does the letter end? Oh, what a cheeky way to end a letter. I mean, what a name drop in the letter. Because it ends, the people from Caesar's household send their greetings. Wow. Wow. Uh, It's like saying, you know, the people in the White House. So hi, hi. Um, of all the people in the Roman Empire, the most famous person, Caesar, and guess what? Paul may have been stuck in prison, but that hasn't stopped the word of God getting to the house of that most important person to Caesar. It's it's, it's amazing. Colossians, similarly, breathtaking verses. When we consider how it, it talks about how Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation philemon a wonderful letter about how someone should recognize that someone they thought was their slave is actually their brother and equal with them and, and uh, just that little letter what an amazing message to uh, uh, take home and we have that letter because paul was stuck in prison how does the new testament end what's the last book the last book in the new testament is the book of Revelation. And why do we have revelation? We have revelation because John the Apostle was stuck, imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He couldn't move off that island. And the word of God spreads. When people can't move, the word of God spreads. So we come back to our theme verse again. Second Timothy, chapter two, verses eight and nine. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So here we are. A lot of us have been locked down, but the word of God hasn't been. God's spreading his word. Not like the virus where there's no cure. God's spreading something good. You may have been stuck inside. You may have been stuck in your house for quite some time in these last few months. But new people have been hearing God's word people who wouldn't have heard God's word before, people who have been clicking on online links and come to services. It's been easier for some people actually to hear the word of God. And and that's what happened in these last few months. For many of us, it's also been a humbling time because we like to sense our value and our importance by how active we are and how much we've been travelling and doing things. But God often works when we don't move. He doesn't need us to move. John the Apostle was stuck on the island of Patmos. Paul was in in house arrest. Joseph was in prison. But I want to tell you about someone who was even more confined. Think about it. Our Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he was fixed there by nails. He, He couldn't move. He was more constrained than anyone else I've talked about. For hours, he could only move a few inches and even to move would be complete agony because he was nailed there. He couldn't move. But what he did, even at that time when he couldn't move, was the greatest good that's ever been done in the history of the entire universe. Our salvation was bought when Christ could only move a few inches. In in fact, parts of him couldn't even move that because when your wrist is nailed, it can't move and any move is going to be so painful and yet the physical pain is nothing compared with the spiritual pain as Christ took on the penalty of our sin, the wrath of the Father, his anger against our sin, he took that for us. So at this time when we can't move, we should consider how Christ, when he couldn't move, conquered our invisible enemy of Satan. He defeated our invisible enemy, sin. He defeated the most difficult enemies to conquer. So what about us? Well, you may not have been able to move recently. You may not be physically capable of moving perhaps through age, perhaps through infirmity, perhaps through disability or through circumstances. There's someone else you're looking after, an older person, a younger person, someone who needs caring for. You can't move. Does that mean you can't do God's work? Don't think you can't be involved in the spiritual battle just because you're constrained in, in physically. You don't need to travel around being busy to do God's work because God's already travelled the distance for us There's no greater distance to come than from the heights of heaven to earth. But Christ came from perfect glory to a broken world. He travelled the distance. He came to our world full of disease and death and he lived a perfect life and he was betrayed. Both your country and mine have been recently shaken as people have reacted to a wrongdoing committed by those in authority. I'm thinking about the brutal killing of George Floyd people have rightly protested, and as always, with protests, there have been those with good motives, and then sometimes people with less good motives have joined in. been people of goodwill, people have, who've not had goodwill. We've also seen good leadership uh, and good examples of local citizens doing the right thing. But I want to tell you about Jesus. You see, when he was crucified. He was condemned by the crowd, by the mob calling out, crucify him, crucify him. But he was also condemned by the highest political authorities at the same time, on the same side as the mob. He was condemned by the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish ruling council. He was condemned by the Roman governor. Some today might sympathize more with the crowd, some more with the authorities. Jesus was rejected by both. And you know, as he died, in John's Gospel, there were four soldiers there, if you like, four officers of the law, who, with the full approval of the people over them and of the crowds, crucified Jesus for those hours while he died. Christ came the furthest furthest distance. He also experienced the greatest injustice. When he was fixed to a tree, a tree, by the way, which had grown from a seed that he himself had created. And there he saved us from the greatest enemy. He saved us from all our sins. There, fixed by nails without moving. He took the punishment that our sins deserved. He took God's righteous anger upon himself for us. So you and I may think we need to rush around and do something to be saved. No, Jesus has done it all for us. You don't need to move from where you are to get right with him. You can be right with God from where you are today because he's come all the way for us. So whether in the coming weeks you get to move about more and meet more people or whether you're constrained and shut in, God's word is spreading and can change lives. Will you let him transform your life today? I want to talk to those who are already Christians. If you're a Christian, will you accept again that Christ has done everything for you will you rejoice that his word is going out now that he may want you to carry it by you physically moving or he may want you to be in a particular place and not move but God's word's going out and that it's going out through you and we should rejoice that he's not stuck we may be stuck but he's not God has a plan to work it and he's working that out And however constrained we are, he's done everything for us. Will we accept the reality of his work? If you're not a Christian, I want to ask, will you accept that you have rebelled against God and that you can't find your way back to him, but also that he's not far off because he sent his own son to earth to die for our sins so that we don't need to earn forgiveness? You can't earn forgiveness. Our sins have been paid for by Jesus dying on the cross. And right where we are now, we can pray that he would enter our hearts, forgive us and change us. And I wanna ask, will you do that today?